0: Morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see you all this morning. All right. Um, well, like uh, Pastor John said, I'm Josh uh, Cullum. I am the director of Camp David of the Ozarks, along with my wife, Julia, who is not here today. We have uh, five kids at home, and so she's um, taking care of them. So that I can come do this with Nate. And you'll meet Nate here in a few minutes. Um, but just a little bit about like who I am, why I'm here. Uh, I actually first heard about Camp David when I was in college. I went to school at Missouri S&T in Rolla. And between my last two semesters, that summer in between, I actually learned that Camp David needed a support staff leader. And so uh, a guy that I went to college with actually recommended it to me said i'd be good at it so i applied and uh, i got it and so that's how i learned about camp david uh, my wife julia she actually went to camp david for her first time as a counselor that year too and so that's where i met my wife so it kind of has a special place in my own life um, but that's that's how we met we met at camp and um, ever since we had left camp we felt like we weren't quite done there yet. We felt like, you know, maybe we can help out in some way, and we've, you know, we've, we've donated to camp. We Julia has, has gone and been a counselor and helped out here and there, um, but it still felt like there was we just weren't done yet, and then last year, Ben and Grace, the founders and the directors, they actually asked us to prayerfully consider being the new directors so that they can um, do Camp David International. So they're wanting to go take Camp David, but put it all around the world. And they've actually been in, I think we're in seven or eight countries already, but they wanted to do that full time uh, instead of trying to do it along with the the Ozarks campus. And so we we prayed about it and we talked about it and we considered it and I'm here before you today. So we said yes. And uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I love camp. camp is a, children, you know, a camp for children of prisoners, uh, but I got so much out of it. My first time there when I was a support staff leader that it, it doesn't just affect the, the children of prisoners, but it affects everyone's life that's there. Uh, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, I feel like when you go to minister to people, uh, I've seen it over and over where you come out being ministered to yourself, which is awesome. And then God's working there. So wherever God's at, uh, that's where I want to be, and, and I know he's going to bless that and bless me there. Um, so a little bit more about Camp David. So our purpose is to give hope to families of prisoners. We do that largely by our summer camps. Uh, camp David started in 2003, and the first year, year of camp was 2004. We had two weeks of camp that year, I believe. And since then, we've grown to eight, eight weeks of camp, and about 175 campers in that summer. The campers come for a week at a time. They get ministered to, and then the next week we we do it all over again with a new set of kids. Uh, within those two weeks, there's or those eight weeks, there are two special weeks. One is Timothy training, which is uh, based on Timothy from the Bible. Basically, our older campers, uh, the ones that are showing some leadership potential, we go ahead and invite them to a week to serve on staff and kind of you know, see how they do, try to pour into their lives a little bit more. And from there they can, if they graduate, then they're welcome to serve on staff. And this year was the first time we actually had 10 come as Timothys and all 10 actually graduated, which was really exciting. Um, the Timothy training program is, wasn't around at first. So when I was there as support staff leader, my staff was pretty much homeschooled, church-going kids who were just, they pretty much everyone I worked with had really good work ethics. And now with bringing the campers in, one of the big things that we teach them is, is a good work ethic, because uh, that's something that they don't always grow up with. Um, but we've, from when I've been there, we've since transitioned to about 25% of our staff is now former campers or children of prisoners and which which is really awesome and then they we also have had a couple people on our leadership team that were former campers and so they you know some of them have been around for seven eight years and they they come up they serve on staff and then their leadership so it's really exciting um to to see that growth that's just one part of what we do and then the other week the last week of camp is actually foster kids week and so A lot of foster kids their parents are in prison but that's not a requirement and it's usually more on the local side um, but people are welcome to come there's just no that week doesn't have transportation so it tends to be more on the local side but still still serving a a very uh, at-risk demographic with with foster kids and all the weeks are just amazing Uh, when when campers arrive on monday uh, they get greeted by a line of counselors and staff cheering them on, making them excited to be there, and one of the first things that we tell them is, just straight off the bat, hey, we are a camp for children of prisoners, so every camper here has or has had a parent that's incarcerated, and that just instantly opens up doors. It, it lowers their walls. They, they realize, okay, like, I can talk about this, and no one's going to judge me, because then the real world, at school or at home or, or wherever they go, you just don't talk about your parents being in prison. So being able to come to camp and share uh, and know right away, hey, we're all, we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat, I can, I can open up and you're not going to judge me, just goes a long way. Um, one of my favorite things I got to do this summer was to lead the chapels. Uh, I've, I've preached sermons before at a church I grew up in and a couple other churches that I've been a part of. And so I'm not new to speaking in a church, but, and not new to preaching sermons, but preaching sermons to uh, kids who are not necessarily growing up in church was really cool, as a very big growing experience for me because I got to, you know, teach, you know, teach them words like, you know, what hope means. Uh, but from, you know, I can't just say, oh, I have hope. Like I have to define what hope is, you know, and hope being that happy expectation of good. Um, one of my favorite stories actually comes from, from right after sermon. We had a, a kid that came in and he was actually kind of like a lot of our campers. He was kind of standoffish, uh, kind of quiet, withdrawn. Uh, they, the campers, you know, on Monday, they. A lot of them say, I don't want to be here. And Tuesday, they say, I don't want to be here. And Wednesday, they say, I don't want to be here. And then Thursday night comes, and they know they're leaving Friday, and then they're like, I don't want to leave. Um, so this, this camper was kind of similar to that, just kind of closed off. Um, but my, my third, ser- third day sermon was about love, and God's agape love. And I got to show the campers that you know, we are God's precious possession. And what I did to illustrate that was gave an example of, if you were out digging for diamonds and you find just a big diamond, the biggest diamond you've ever seen, uh, you know, you just dug it out of the ground, so it's dirty. Are you going to throw that, that precious diamond away? And of course they said, they said, no, uh, you know, they would, they would wash it up. They would polish it up, maybe take it to a jeweler to get cut the right way. And then, you know, you would either, put it on display or have it heavily guarded because it's invaluable, but you would, you know, probably show it off at least to your closest friends and, you know, you would, you would cherish it. You would, you know, prize this possession. And making that connection that that's how God sees us, each and every one of us, that we're his precious possession. And maybe, you know, we've all sinned. Maybe we feel like we're not worthy, but God takes those, those precious things like diamonds and he, he cleans us up and he polishes us and then he wants to show us off to other people. And when this sermon ended, this, this boy came up to me afterward and said he wanted to talk to me. I said, okay. And he said, if it was a fake diamond, I would just throw it away. I wouldn't keep it. I said, well, that's probably true. Yeah. But what are you to God? Are you the real diamond or the fake diamond? And he thought about it and he made the conclusion that on the real one. And I said, yeah, that's right. So you're God's precious possession, and he's going to take care of you, and he's going to show show you off and, you know, clean you up and take care of you. And he seemed to be okay with that answer, and he left. One of the things that we do on Thursdays at camp is we do baptisms, and that next day was Thursday, and he actually got baptized. And it was just... One of my favorite stories from camp this year, um, just watching God work. But that's what, that's what we do at camp. We, we just love on these kids. And these kids being at risk, uh, they come with their issues. Uh, a lot of them have behavioral problems. It's definitely not you know a, an easy week of camp by any means. But just showing God's love to them, um, showing that, that God loves them, that we love them, is one of the big things that we do, one of the big things that, that makes a different, difference in their lives. And just letting them know, them know hey, no matter what, you're, you're loved and accepted. Uh, another thing we do throughout the week is we have a, cor- a class called What About It class. And what we do is help the kids to kind of think through their some, some, some big questions. So the first question we ask is, am I a bad person if I love my mom or dad who's in jail or prison? Uh, then the next question we ask is, am I, am I a bad person if I hate my mom or dad? Uh, we ask you know, other questions as well, such as, you know, am I going to end up like, like my mom and dad? And just being able to, to share that with them really helps them to process, you know, hey, this isn't my fault. You know, hey, you know, God came for sinners and he came and he loved the, the bad people because we've all done bad things. And just showing that connection that hey when you when you love your parent that's that's incarcerated, that's in prison, you're actually doing exactly what God wants you to do. You're being like God whenever you love this your your parent who's done these bad things. And it just really helps them to process. And it's just amazing watching the transition from the first day To the last day and how they just continue to open up and be real and it's just a place to to come and just take a week from from whatever situation they're in and just have fun at camp but also learn about god and learn about you know this is what this is what god feels about you and then this is you know here are some some healthy ways you can process your emotions and it's really awesome uh at this time i'm going to have nate come up and kind of share with you his testimony so he's our, he's our staff coach. He's been with us for about five months. And we are so blessed to have, number one, met him. Number two, have gotten him on our staff as a staff coach. Because um, as you're about to hear, he's got an awesome t- story to tell, an awesome testimony. And it just kind of ties into what camp is all about. So
1: go ahead, Nate. Thank you, Josh. Can everybody hear me? Yeah, front, back. Star Wars? Yeah, no. If you were in the last service, you're like, man, this guy's got the same jokes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Josh, like Josh said, uh, I'm Nate, Nate Colars, and um, I got a little bit of a story just to kind of tie in and put uh, Camp David in perspective for you, and uh, that story is actually kind of my testimony, um, so I'm going to go way back, all right? So bear with me. I was born in Roseville, Illinois. Does anybody know where that is? Nada, all right? I'm talking like maybe two people and a dog, that's the population. Uh, And you know you grew up in a uh, country town, if uh, you walk by and, uh, like when I moved away, I realized this, but you walk by and there's a cute girl and you're like, howdy, and she thinks that you said haughty, so you have to run away, all right? That's how you know you grew up in a country hick town. All right, so I grew up in this small little town and uh, what I wanna emphasize and point out is that I have a lot of siblings, all right? Nine of them biologically. And um, my, my father wasn't necessarily the correct father. He had a lot to learn. He, was, he had trauma from his past when he was born, all right? He grew up with a stepdad who would beat him and whatnot, and that carried down because there was no accountability that stepped into his life. There was no ministry that stepped into his life and helped steer him away from that. So with that being said, when I was born, when my siblings were born, we all fell into the same thing, all right? Uh, another thing I want to point out is that addiction runs, hu- like, it's bad in my family. Um, all my siblings and myself, uh, just very addictive personalities. And with that, again, without accountability, uh, you obviously are going to get into some bad things. And the last thing I want to point out uh, when it comes to my family um, is my dad had a, a very weird misconception of who God was. All right? Uh, and I, most of the time I compare this last, uh, last um, ser- service. I can't talk now. Last service, I compared it to this. Have you guys seen God's Not Dead? All right? All right, so remember the, um, the professor, all right? And through like three quarters of the movie, he, uh, he worded himself and he presented himself as what? An atheist, right? He didn't believe in God. In fact, he, he didn't believe in God so much that he was going to make it part of his cl- class curriculum that he was going to disprove God, right? And uh, at the end of the movie, um, we see that he's not an atheist, he just is mad at God, all right? He blames God for taking something from him, which caused him all this, this misconception of who God was, all right? He blamed God for this, all right? My dad, my bio dad, is a lot like that guy, all right? Was a lot like that guy. He's different 11 years later than he was uh, back then. But at that time, he had this huge misconce- misconception of who Jesus was, and of course, without that accountability of someone else stepping into his life and... Uh, We grew up with that misconception, all right? And um, so at nine years old, all the way up until nine, that's how I grew up. That's how my siblings grew up. Um, uh, And at nine years old, that night came and my parents, uh, they kind of split. Uh, My dad was in handcuffs and and all nine of my siblings and my mom were were, uh, going to stay at a hotel. And uh, long story short, like we went through some court cases. My mom won temporary custody uh, and we just moved. And that's when, like, this whole, like, everything I've known in my little small hick, hick town, Roseville, changed. I moved to a lot of different places. I went to Quincy. That's where we ended up. And uh, you guys know where Quincy is, right? It's a big t- big city. All right. And um, we landed in two different homeless shelters, but they were only temporary things. All right. Think about it. Mom, nine kids. It's not easy. All right. And the first, uh, the second homeless shelter, it was called Quinada. It, it's closed down now, unfortunately. Um, but uh, throughout Qanada, my mom realized, it, there was a lot of realization through this whole process, but, like, she couldn't take care of us, she wanted to, and with us being nine kids that had this misconception of not only God, but misconception of who and how a father should treat his children, or his wife, we had a lot of complications growing up, all right, and I'm, i would lie to you if I said, well, we treated our mom right, too, all right, um, so the state stepped in, all right? And uh, I think in Illinois' it's DFS or DCFS, I don't know, Missouri's DFS, Illinois's DCFS, but they stepped in and uh, there was another amazing program, accountability, that uh, stepped in and called the YWCA, and they, uh, they basically help single parents, mostly moms, um, with kids and they give them a job, they help them get a job, they uh, help them get on their feet they give them like a duplex home and everything. And uh, so we did that and at that, at that point, I was kind of entering, I think fifth grade, fifth grade and about half a year into it where uh, my, mo- my mom kind of came to the realization that she couldn't do it. She can't raise nine kids on her own. Uh, and there was a lot of elements missing uh, for her to raise us correctly, right? One of them things was a father. Um, so the state got connected again and we moved to what I call my Camp David. All right, I didn't grow up going to Camp David. All right, but I grew up to I grew up, and that night I went to an organization through the state, me and my nine siblings, uh, called Shiloh Children's Christian Ranch. Has anybody heard of it? By any chance? All right. Has anybody heard of Show Me? All right. How about Coyote Hill? All right. Awesome. So all three of those organizations tie together, kind of similar to Camp David. All right. But they are foster homes, all right? But they're Christian-based foster homes, and, and they take a lot of these, a lot of kids that grew up like how I grew up, and uh, they, they give them a real um, image of how family is, a real image of who God is, all right? And um, I remember I walked in, it was crazy, I walked in, and how, how we knew we were moving, because uh, we moved a lot, all right? How we knew we were moving was if our stuff was in, like, uh, the, the big, like, you know, like, 200-gallon trash bags. I actually don't know if that's how big they are. But that's how we knew we were moving. We came back from school that one day. They were loaded up. I was like, oh, Mom, where are we going now? And uh, I remember walking up. Transitions was where that was the organization we met up at. And one of the Shiloh parents drove down from Clarence, the Clarence site. And uh, and I'm talking, like, David and Goliath. That was Mike was his name. Um, And I'll I'll put it in perspective of how, like, big, big of a boy Mike was, all right? there's a biker gang called the Hell's Angels, all right? He used to be a bouncer for one of them, all right? Like, before he became a Christian, he used to ride with those guys. So, he was a scary looking dude, and I'm glad he was on my side. (laughs) So, I went up, and, like, I looked up at him, he's like, hi, Nate, or should I say, hi, Nate, you know? Like, you're gonna call me dad now, you know? And, um, uh, so, from that day on, I moved to Shiloh. All my siblings went to Shiloh, all nine of us, and um, now, how did I word it last service? How many of you know a foster parent who would just take nine kids at the same time? I do, but it's more of an organization, all right? That's, that's I mean, even one or two foster kids or three, like, it's a big deal. You're, it's a whole different element to your family. But that's what Shiloh does. That's what Show Me does. That's what Coyote Hill does. Uh, and they took us in. We all got split up into different houses, but Shiloh gave us a, se- uh, a second chance, right. And through Shiloh. right. Through Shiloh, I was able to to rebuild my relationships, to rebuild my my self-image. right. And uh, I got to find an actual perspective, the correct perspective of who Jesus Christ and God is. All right. Uh, I had all of us had a lot of things to work on. Like, it's not correct to hit a woman. All right. That's how we grew up. I watched. You know, we grew up seeing my dad do that. So it's like, that's not right. You know um, grew up, uh, understanding that certain things were not allowed, and, uh, certain things were allowed, when is this appropriate, When is not, what is marriage actually supposed to be like, who is God, what did you do for us, all that started turning at Shiloh, not only for me, but for my siblings, too, all right, and, um, so I entered Shiloh at sixth grade, all right, that, so I want to emphasize that was the opportunity, that was kind of the first pivot, and, uh, or second pivot, you could say, um, I'm going to fast forward now, all right, uh, senior year, because I grew up, up in Shiloh, and, uh, senior year, I'm coming to the end of my high school career, and what do I want to do? Well, I didn't really know what I want to do, so I was like, well, I'm gonna do the military, all right, and, and I, and I had a, I had a recruiter for a little bit, and I was ready to do that, and then at some point in my senior year, I got in an argument on the bus with, um, uh, with one of my classmates, his name was Ethan, he, um, he made the argument, Ethan was an atheist, all right, I don't know if he still is today, um, But at that point, he claimed to be atheist. He claimed that God wasn't real. And I was a Shiloh kid, senior, who was like, well, God is real. All right? So we butted heads. And on the bus that day, he made this argument, this statement. He said, you're only a Christian because you grew up in a Christian organization. I was like, no, I didn't. Well, the more I thought about that, like, it kind of hit me. Uh, I was like, well, am I? Am I do I only believe in God because I grew up in Shiloh? You know, like, and it hit me so hard that when I, once I got off the bus, that same day, uh, I called my recruiter, and I withdrew my application. It was still, like, the paper part, um, so nothing was, like, tied in, and I found myself the rest of my senior year, and over the summer, I was enrolled at a Bible college called Central Christian College of the Bible, and um, it was there where I found my faith, all right? So now I'm going to transition to the next stage of life. I'm in college, all right? I'm in college, and in my first year of college, I, w- I don't, I'm not going to lie to you, but, like, I learned so much about Jesus because I had no accountability, all right? I had, I didn't, I, my, my Shiloh parents and whatnot, I kind of was that freshman, freshman uh, um, kid in college that didn't have any accountability, and I was going to parties, and I was just not focusing on I was at a Bible college, all right, and I just was not doing what I was supposed to, and um, and then I had a a group of guys, we call them the huddle now, all right, sounds like a movie, um, but they were my accountability, and I didn't know it, but they were watching me for a while, and little did, I know there was a lot of prayer that went into this, but uh, a conversation that I had with one of my professors, and he has invited me to the huddle and wanted to invest in me, and with that being said, over that summer, going into my second year of college, everything, everything for me changed. My perspective, I was like, I have people supporting me. I have churches supporting me. I have people praying for me. I have people that want me to succeed, and God is investing in me. And I'm throwing it all away for selfish and temporary reasons. All right? So my whole perspective, my second year of college changed. All right? And lo- I'm just going to keep it short. My whole second year was... It was good. I found my faith. I can gladly say today, if I was to look at Ethan in the eyes, and we were to have that same argument, that same statement that he said back at senior year, if he was to say, you only believe in God, because you grew up in a Christian organization, I could say today, no. I don't. I believe in him because he's real. I believe in him because I invested in his word, and I found out who God is for me. Alright? Now I want to, th- well, how does this tie into Camp David, right? Alright? So you've noticed that I've emphasized the word accountability, alright? And it comes to most summers of my college career, because I only did two years of college. Um, how, how many of you have heard of camp teams by any chance? Got a one or two, three, okay? So for those of you who don't know what camp teams is, it is a college's way to, to share their college. And for a Christian college, it's not only their way to share their college, but it's their way to share Jesus, all right? So I'm assuming you guys around here have a local, or two of them, or three local church camps, all right? So that is what we aim for as a Christian college. We will go there. We will have a team. Uh, the college will have multiple teams depending on size. And, um, and we will spend a week there, much like we're, we're, what we're doing here. Do a little speaking. We got a little table back there. All right. Uh, we'll do that for uh, a week at a, a church camp and invest in the kids and invest in uh, different people. Ministry is all about your connections and, and who you're meeting and stuff. That's all. That's camp teams. All right. And Central, my second year. All right, second summer, uh, I got the opportunity to lead a uh, team. The first year I was on a team, the second year they asked me to lead a team. I was su- super stoked about it, and it was our, Central hasn't had a worship team in a long time, not a traveling camp team worship team. This was the year that it was going to happen, and it was so hyped up, and my uh, admissions director, he came to me, he was like, hey, you know, like, uh, within a few hours, I had, I don't even remember, 500, or maybe it's 200, a lot of emails, all right, and uh, that's how bad people wanted the worship team, and so obviously, you know, that kind of went to our, our heads, we're like, yeah, dude, we're the top, no, <laughs> like, they want us, and then COVID happened, right, and everything changed. Um, within those few hours of him getting all those emails that we want you, uh, fo- there was a few hours followed by we were not going to have anybody outside coming in, all right? Um, Those were a little bit different times than how we see COVID now, but there was a lot of fear, and there was a lot of, um, what is going to happen in the future? So we lost our opportunity to go to these far-off camps and and lead worship, and it got got to us, I'm not going to lie. But God works, right? So guess the camp, I'll give you a hint, guess the camp that was the first camp that filled our schedule. You guessed it, good job. Camp David, all right? Now, I wish that that was our uh, response when, um, when we saw that, but we were like, are we leading worship? No. <sighs> okay, we'll go, <laughs> you know? But little did I know uh, that God was going to do a lot, and what, half a year later now, I'm working here, like, I didn't know any of this, all right? So we went, and Camp David had their, I was only there the summer for the first week and the last week. The last week was Foster, foster Kids Week. And um, during the first week, I I had lots of conversations. I met lots of kids. This wasn't my first rodeo with doing camp. Um, But I had a conversation with my foster brother, Titus, and it was like, there's something different about this camp, man. He's like, yeah, I feel it too. Keep in mind, Titus is from Shiloh too, all right? And we came to the realization that these kids, all right, these kids are very similar to the kids that we grew up with, all right? Um, Not all Shiloh kids have parents in prison, all right? but um, we realized that, and we're like, wow, that's kind of cool, you know. And then the rest of the summer goes on. I started, um, I started to pursue my actual dream with going back into the, the military, if you could call it a dream, uh, at the beginning of the summer. And it was a slow process because I was only there on weekends, so it took a lot of the summer. And, um, and basically, at the middle of the summer, uh, I got declined at MEPS. And then right after that, I went like into a two-week quarantine because we were shut down and um, it was that quarantine was it was just crazy all right because I was like I don't really know what I'm gonna do next there was still question on whether college was gonna be at that time was like is it gonna be online are they gonna be in person are they doing it at all I don't know so I was like okay I can't go to the military I'm not gonna go to BEPS I in that two-week quarantine I filled out about 200 applications and I, I mean, I had a lot of time on my hands, all right, so I was just like, where am I going to go, uh, I like to say I was being content with God, but, like, realistically, it was tough, I was just like, I don't like, I'm running out of time here, like, what's going to happen, you know, it's getting impatient, and then, what do you know, um, Julia sent me a text, like, hey, what are your plans, and, I mean, three or four days after quarantine, I was hired, and up, like everything in my car, like everything I owned in my car, and up at their last week of foster kids' week. All right? So, if you were to ask me five months ago, all right, about like my testimony and stuff and, and how God's working in my life, I kind of have a different perspective on it now. But back then it was like, yeah, that this is how God's worked in my life. But I've realized now, because in the last five months since I've started this job as staff coach at Camp David of the Ozarks, so much has changed. I got to like, a brand new perspective on things, all right? But your testimony is never necessarily being done, all right? It's always being written. There's always something being added to it. There's always going to be maybe a trial that you're going through. You're going to grow in an area. You might lose someone and learn something. Whatever the case is, you're growing. And I want to tell you, I want to put Camp David in perspective for you, that these kids, all right, these kids need this accountability, and I, I know I'm pointing at the bed, but I'm not mean the bed, all right? If I would have never had someone step into my life, if Shiloh wouldn't have been a thing, I could tell you exactly where I'd be right now, and I'll tell you this because I have siblings who didn't, and I know where they are today. If I would have never had my Camp David step into my life, I wouldn't be standing up here wanting to share my story, wanting to share the place I'm working with, and sharing Jesus' name, all right? When I was at fo- the foster care week at camp, it hit me. Because I'd been praying, even though I didn't have all my bricks straight, all right? I always knew, I was like, man, I kind of want a job like Shiloh. And, I, and I've quoted on my social media before, and I've told my parents, I'm like, I'm going to be a Shiloh parent one day. Like, I know I need a wife, I know I need experience, I know I need a resume, I know I need this, that, and that. But I knew in my heart, and I still today, I want to be a Shiloh parent one day. I don't know if it's because of what they did for me, or if it's just the home draw that I got there. But that foster kids week at camp at the end of the summer, I realized God answered my prayer because Camp David is now my Shiloh. It, is, it was the job, it's the job that I've been wanting, even though I didn't want it. Or I didn't know that that's what I wanted, alright? And that was the accountability there, all right? So so that is my story, all right? Uh, and I, I seriously do appreciate you guys allowing us to come up and share with you guys, and it's so fun, it's so awesome. Um, again, all the connections and whatnot. Um, but I want to put in perspective a story, uh, Josh shared a story about a camper, uh, I want to share a story about, we're going to call him Fred, all right, and um, every, I've worked with, Kids from Shiloh and kids from Camp David, and and I'm sure you guys have had experience with kids that might be broken in some way, and you understand, we can come to this level ground that every kid has what we would call maybe a safe place, all right? How many of you have read The, the Child Called It by any chance, all Right, Remember his safe place, whether it was the garage where uh, where that was the only moment that he could feel any, any like, empathy or love from whoever was watching him, or, or it, for a lot of kids, it's their backpack, because foster kids, or kids that are on the run all the time, they carry it, a lot of them will carry everything they own in a backpack. For me, we could use this analogy as my, tr- my trash bag. That could have been my safe place. So I had a kid, Fred, all right, um, this was my first week there, all right, first week, not the end, and I had a total of four campers, and then one of my buddies from the college teams, um, he was helping me out, and you know, Two of my kids, uh, they were brothers, and they were kicking it off, and I got to know a lot about them. They're a lot like me, extroverted, wanting to talk all the time. You can't get them to shut up, all right? And uh, it was so good. And then I had another kid, and the other two kids, they were kind of closed off, all right? So as the week went on, I noticed that the, the third kid, he kind of opened up. He's like, hey, um, like, I know that I need to be a Christian, and um, I know that I need to do the right thing, but I'm struggling with my homosexuality. Ooh, controversial word, all right? He's like, I don't know if what is, th- what is the right thing because both of my parent figures are actually together in the same gender. Tough situation. It was, and, it was t- and that was a hard conversation, but guess what that conversation was? A bed. He found a safe place, right? Because I could not break through to that kid anywhere else during camp until after we were able to have that safe place. Fred, on the other hand, Fred was one of the toughest kids I've ever, <laughs> I've ever worked with, all right? And, and my buddy that was with me, he has a little bit of experience your kids. He's from a different country. He doesn't speak a lot of English. So, like, really, I, 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 I didn't know how I was going to deal with this. But I, I had this kid who was closed off, who didn't want to stay with the group, always running around, causing fights or something, uh, whether they're verbal or even, like, in the pool, there was a physical one, like, I didn't know what to do with this kid. And then one night, we were laying down in our beds, all right? We have uh, cabins, and, um, and I noticed Fred was, j- like, I noticed throughout the week, this was, like, towards the end of the week, I noticed, like, he comes through his bed a lot, all right? He, he, that's, like, where he always comes. And it kind of, like, Clint like, oh, that's a safe place, you know? So later that night, uh, the two brothers were like, Nate, can you, like, tell us a story? You know, I was like, well, I got lots of stories. So I t- started telling him a story, and then Johnson told him a story. It wasn't in English, but they were still laughing, so I, I don't know if they understood him or not. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, and then, what do you know, Fred sits up, and he was like, no, come here. And at the bed, at his safe place, that was where I got to know about Fred. That was where I got to, I got to be a sense of accountability with him. Camp was his safe place, and I cannot express it enough um, I left this part out on purpose while putting it in through Shiloh 6th to 12th grade. There was at one point my 8th grade def- or well, really freshman all the way to sophomore year where my, my house parents at first were fired and I had to choose. I was like, well do I go with this new family now that I call family or do I go to another? Because if I went back to Shiloh I was going to another family in another house. And I chose to go with them. Everything went downhill. As a freshman in high school, what's all your friends doing? if you're a boy, too, you know, they're trying to go to parties, they're trying to find, they're trying to find uh, all the people that can buy alcohol, and, and, uh, I'm not saying all of us are like that, all of us freshmen, but that's how I was, and that's how my friend group was, right, so I was out of Shiloh now, and I was completely out of church, uh, I'll fast forward, sophomore year, I'm failing, uh, like, (laughs) like four classes, (laughs) uh, math was one of them, let me tell you, um, (laughs) <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Math, right? Uh, but, yeah, I, I was not doing good. And my youth minister steps in with $1,000 for me and my buddy Sean, and she said, you need to clean up your life. And, uh, you know, the first step to cleaning up my life, you know, where I, where I found myself. I found myself at my camp, my week of high school camp. And when I tell people this, I call it Hell Week. That was my Hell Week. Because it was the, the the biggest week of spiritual warfare that I've ever had. Do I give up? Because I'm not going to lie, guys. And we know, a lot of us know this too. Sin and, and running around and being stupid. It's fun because it's addicting. And the Bible says sin is addicting, right? So I, as a freshman, I was like, do I need to like give this up? To go be a Christian boy again? To go be a Shiloh kid again? And that's what that whole week was about. But that week of camp... Changed my life because three days later, I signed back into Shiloh, and here I am. All right? So even if it's a bed or a mattress, a pillow, um, whether it's a physical thing that these kids are getting or if it's a conversation from someone who works there or a volunteer, you never know. And if you get anything from my testimony, I want you to know this. You never know what is going to be that pivot point for them. Because, and I can say that 100% clear because I have people in my life who don't even know how much they affected me. All right, so you never know uh, what that pivot point's gonna be. Thank you for letting me share.
0: Thanks, Nate. So, Nate's stories, uh, the story I told, that's what Camp David's all about. And so, uh, generous, generous donations like yours, like for the mattresses and the sheets and the pillows, it's all part of making stories like this come true. Uh, when campers first go to their cabins, the beds are all nice and put together, and there's a quilt on each bed. The hominess and the warmth really help the campers feel welcome, and it starts the ball rolling on them, opening up, and being real at camp, which is something that they can't do in the real world, like I mentioned earlier. Um, not to mention getting a good night's sleep during a hard, fun week of camp, but a very busy week of camp always helps make the the next day better. Uh, so I just want to close by saying that we appreciate all your support, and we pray that God blesses you as you partner with us, giving hope and warm beds for these children of prisoners. And um, I just want to say thank you, and I'm going to let Nate pray us out of here. Yeah. And then... Yeah, we'll go from
1: there. All right. Yeah, if you, uh, if you just want to bow, Look <laughs> me and pray out, right? Uh, dear God, thank you so much for uh, this day, Lord. And uh, again, just thank you for creating us, God. And you hear all of our prayers, the prayers that aren't being said, the prayers that are being said. God, um, I just want to take this time and thank uh, this church for allowing Josh and me and Camp David to just to come and uh, to share uh, what we are. And God, really what you're doing through us and doing through other people, uh, and, and uh, just all the kingdom work and how you're using your kingdom workers to benefit your kingdom, God. Uh, thank you for that, and uh, I just want to thank you for um, accountability, sort of say, or uh, let's just, these ministries, God, I want to thank you for these ministries like, like Shiloh, like Coyote Hill, like uh, Show Me, um, this church, and uh, God, Camp David. I just want to pray uh, and thank you, God, so much for allowing, allowing us as your kingdom workers to to invest into these kids, God, um, to, to change their lives, right, and just, and just um, to point them to you, God. So again, God, we appreciate you. We love you, and uh, just thank you for all that you do. In God's name, amen.